Welcome to Battleground. Today is Monday, July 27th, and we have an awesome guest. Uh, all of our guests are awesome, but this one is particularly awesome. Um, James Gagliano, thanks for coming on the show. You're a stud, West Point grad, U.S. Army. Thanks for serving. Uh, stellar career at the FBI, you know, supervisory roles. Uh, you can tell us about that. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll put you on the spot and ask you about this uh, fake Russian collusion and some of your old peers over there, like Peter Strzok and et cetera, et cetera. Maybe I don't know. Uh, but thanks for coming on the show. You're a stud. Uh, I really want to hit this right off the gates. The riots. This is insane. Black Lives Matter. Marxist organization. Defund the police. What the hell is going on in the left? Why are we allowing this to happen, James? Well, first of all, thanks for the very kind introduction. I, uh, I appreciate that. And, uh, and look, um, you know, I spent, I spent eight years in the U.S. military, 25 years in the FBI. Um, I do try to look at things as best as possible when I talk about law enforcement matters or criminal justice matters or homeland security matters in as nonpartisan, apolitical way possible. But we all have our own implicit biases. We all have our own proclivities. And so I, I'll say this. What's going on right now? When this whole thing started a few months ago with George Floyd um, dying in Minneapolis police custody, I was outraged. I think I, I think I came down along the line of the vast majority of Americans on both right. sides of the political divide. I thought it was wrong. When you, when you take someone into custody, you have them handcuffed behind their back, um, you are responsible for their health and safety. You've got to dial it back. You've got to have that, that requisite maturity and experience level. That didn't happen. Those four officers have been charged. One was second-degree murder, three with aiding and abetting. I wrote an op-ed for the Washington I'm sorry, for, for the Washington Examiner on this. Full stop, all right? Moving forward. Then we had the incident with Rayshard Brooks that took place in Atlanta, which was vastly different. Yeah. And I argued in that case that everyone was so angered about the George Floyd killing that – they allowed that bleed into, hey, every case is the same now. If it's an unarmed, quote, unarmed black man and white police officers involved, it's got to be institutional racism, and we've got to stamp this out. So the protest started. I argued in the Atlanta case that that was a case where a police officer had got beaten up, had his taser taken from him, which is a deadly force weapon, as we've been told, um, tried to use it on the police officer. The police officer used deadly force and killed him. That ended up. That was a good shoot, right? That was a good shoot. In my estimation, I'm on the board of directors for the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund, a uh, police advocacy group. We have taken that case. We are defending that officer, or, or helping to defend that officer, awesome. because we we believe it was a we believe it was a righteous shoot. Now, brother, I have to use this term. You can agree that a shoot is awful, but lawful. And in this instance, no one wanted to see Rayshard Brooks killed. Right? He was a man that was under the influence. He was out of his mind. He, he caused what happened. It was a lawful but awful shoot, but we are defending him in that. But that fast forwards us to the last two months of riots, looting, anarchy, destruction of public and private property, monuments being destroyed, not just Confederate monuments, but monuments to Columbus and, and Washington and Lincoln and Jefferson and Teddy Roosevelt. And get this, Frederick Douglass, yeah. all being destroyed. And so that's where we are right now. We've, we've lost our mind. And what happens is, is because we've demonized the police and because in the major cities, most of them are led by progressive Democratic mayors, they have, a, they have allowed 
the rioters, the bad actors, to take over places like Portland and Seattle, and they've pulled the police back. They've tied their hands and handcuffed them, and I think, brother, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I agree with you. I agree with you, James. I mean, it's a disaster. Um, you know, when, when, when you go from your First Amendment right, right, the right to peaceful assembly, to rioting, looting, arson, assault, and murder, that's a long way from home. That's a long way from home, you know? And you have, and, and we've both been on CNN. You're still a CNN contributor. I'm not, thank God. Um, you know, but we're not going to hold that against you. Uh, we need to bring you on Fox, though. You know, that, that's where you need to go. You need to come to our side of the fence, you know? Jesus. We need to have a great voice like you on Fox. But anyways, listen, so you're on Battleground. Everyone's going to hear you. Tell us, tell us, what is the reality of this group of Black Lives Matter? Is it a Marxist organization? We've heard the leadership talk about that. Are they a peaceful, you know, uh, organization seeking social justice? Or are they an anarchist, whatever, a criminal organization? You know, I don't know what to believe. I think, you know, maybe there's a combination of folks in there, but it looks like it's been hijacked by a lot of, uh, by, by Marxists and by, uh, and by criminal elements. Yeah, I, I think actually it, it's the other way around. I think the organization was founded on Marxist insurrectionist principles, right? Yep. They don't believe in the nuclear family. They believe in wealth distribution or redistribution, I'm sorry. They believe in, in, in a level of, of Marxism, what Karl Marx taught, which are the underpinnings of socialism. Yep. And because socialism has failed everywhere it's been tried, it has to be communism, which is basically socialism at the point of a gun. So that's what they stand for. Now, I'll say that and I'll separate that, the group's underpinnings, the way the group was founded and, and the foundational principles with people that hear the term Black Lives Matter, it's a benign, anodyne, totally okay saying, and of course Black Lives Matter, right? Of course we should consider every life precious. And of course, there have been incidents um, across our history, and we have a complicated history, right? We're a great nation, we have a complicated history. But I think some people get caught up in the, well, how can you be against Black Lives Matter? Of course they matter, but they don't understand that the group's underpinnings, its foundational construct is Marxism. And unfortunately, they've also been infiltrated as we've watched across the last two months, brother, anarchists, yep. black clads, Antifa. Yep. And their goal is to burn the system down, destroy it, burn it down to its roots, and then start something anew, which obviously, again, is aligned with Black Lives Matter in Marxism, communism, socialism. And, and they're not shy by say, by, about saying that at all. They say, you know, we have, to, we have to destroy the system. We have to destroy it all. And uh, I don't know about you, brother, but uh, I, I think, you know, we're blessed. We live in the greatest country in the history of the world. I don't want this country destroyed. Um, you know, my parents, my, my ancestors came to this country, you know, uh, looking for opportunity, uh, like I'm pretty sure yours did. Uh, why? Because it was the, like Reagan used to call it, you know, that last beacon of hope of freedom, right? And then um, everybody, everybody tries to get here because of that reason. Um, we can't kick them out, you know, but we should definitely put an end to it. You know, we saw the mayor of, uh, of Portland, you know, out there 
with the protesters. What 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 a joke! What an embarrassment! That guy should resign. He is a joke of a human being, uh, a, a, a total fraud. Uh, going out there, hey, it was even more funny is that people were yelling at him. You know, step down, resign, quit your job. You know, the, these are the people that he's protecting. They don't care about any structure. They don't care about institutions. They want to wreck it all. They're anarchists or animals. And um, and we have to put it down. I don't understand why why we're not is. You know, and, and I understand the strategy of the left is they, they just want to create more crisis, more chaos, more of this, and finally wear the American people down to say, God, I can't take this anymore. Let's just get rid of Trump. You know, this is all because of Trump, and it has nothing to do with Trump. I mean, we'll go back into a little bit of the, of the fake Russian hoax and, 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 and some of the, the, the dirty players that, that participated in that, and we know more and more stuff that has come out. You know, it, it was, it was, uh, it was a hoax. It was, you know, bad intel and, and, and bad intent. Right. And then, you know, well, followed by so many other things. And now we're here, you know, now we're here and it looks like this is where they're, you know, putting the stake down on the sand and saying, this is it. This, we're going to fight this to election day. It doesn't look like they're going to go anywhere. Yeah. So just to, just to knit up what we just spoke about, um, I think the Portland mayor is a perfect example of this. You cannot negotiate with terrorists. So when you allow them to burn things, when you allow them to act out, when you allow them to commit acts of arson and vandalism and graffiti and attacks on police officers and shining lights in the uh, laser lights in the eyes of federal agents causing blindness, when you allow them to do those things, when you allow them to set up a autonomous zone, um, when you allow them to do these things, occupy police precincts, firebomb police precincts, throw Molotov cocktails at cops, hit cops with cars. You can't then go back to them and say, well, look, I'm on your side. Um, so don't come after me because the mob comes after everybody. So if you don't think they're going to eat you because you're, you participate in identity politics and because you're a leftist, they'll come for you sooner or later. Okay. Now let's segue as you just did into um, the issues on the on the Russian collusion case, which obviously was crossfire hurricane. Look, yep. I, I started at CNN in in late 2016, before the election, and I was a fierce defender of the FBI. I'd spent 25 yep. years in it. I, I served in some fairly high level positions. I didn't know James Comey well, but I served under four of the only eight FBI directors in the bureau's 112 year history. So and it's a and it's a great agency. It's a great agency. Yes. I love the people there. I have many friends there. A lot of people from intel analysts to the special agents. They are great people. They are great yes. people. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I want to make sure I'm clear about that. But it is a fallible organization. Why? Because it's made up of human beings like me and you and we are fallible. We're not infallible. So I defended it. Um, I defended the actions of James Comey and Andrew McCabe, who worked for me as a young SWAT guy back in the New York City office years ago, back in the early 2000s. I defended everything. I thought it was good people who just made honest mistakes. And again, they were making decisions in real time. So yeah. we're making them now after the fact, hindsight yeah. 2020. Right. So I defended them. As more information has come forward, as more documents have become declassified, yeah. And the more James Comey speaks and Lisa Page yep. speaks and Peter yep. Strzok speaks, the less inclined I am to defend them. I think that there yep. were people there that did have owner's intent. Now, the FBI has layers of, of yep. oversight. Yes, there were some misrepresentations made to the 
to the Fisk Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Yes, there were four Pfizer's that were suspect, the ones against Carter Page. Yes, there's a lot of things you can criticize using the Steele dossier as a basis for Pfizer. There are plenty of things that we can can certainly criticize. But I think we're at a point in time now where the American people have kind of turned their attention otherwise. And unless John Durham comes forward with some indictments. And And that's a great point. That's going to happen. And and that's exactly where I wanted to go. Where do you think that goes? Because, you know, John Durham is a stand-up guy. I mean, everybody who knows him, his reputation, he's not a partisan. That, that, That guy is clean, sharp, straight as an arrow. What do you think he comes up with? Okay, so here, here's my thinking on this. So we've already had three IG reports, yep. right? So the IG, Michael Horowitz, who was appointed during the Obama administration, straight shooter, apolitical guy, nonpartisan. He looked into three different things, right? He looked into mid-year exam, which was the case against Hillary Clinton. He looked into James Comey's leaks to the media uh, when he was fired. Yep. And he also looked into Crossfire Hurricane. Yep. And the IG came away with this. He referred people to the Justice Department yep. that is run by Bill Barr, who obviously is, you know, in Donald Trump's administration, and the Justice Department declined to bring charges. They didn't charge McCabe for lying four times, three times under oath. They Why? didn't charge Comey. They, well, I'll get to that. They okay. didn't charge Comey for leaking to the media, something that would have gotten me fired and probably yeah. me charged. Yeah. And they, they, didn't, they didn't charge anyone else. Now, that just tells me that maybe this Department of Justice doesn't want to make it appear partisan because they've been accused of being partisan. So they may be taking, handling this with kid gloves when there are people there. James Comey should have been indicted and wasn't. I, I believe that he leaked sensitive, if not classified information to the media, and that is wrong. James, but if anybody else would have done that, and others have, by the way, and they've ended up in prison. Yep. Isn't that a bunch of crap? It, it, it does seem like rule for thee, but not for me. And, and I think that's what frustrates many people on both sides of the ideological spectrum. It's like, why are there separate rules for people in power? James Comey is not charged. Andrew McCabe is not charged. Peter Strzok is not charged. And again, Strzok and Page were different. They did some dumb things on, on, on bureau, yeah. you know, electronic devices and said some dumb things or whatever. But as far as charging people with things, you have to have something concrete. It has to be a violation of, of criminal law. And so just saying, well, these people had it in for Trump, that's not good enough. You have to show, you have to show criminal intent right. and an actual criminal violation. So that's a great, that's a great, um, that, that, that's a great point and which is where i wanted to go to you know is um because they haven't been charged yet can they still be charged sure here's here's what my guess would be the person i think that will be charged will be criminally charged is a doj lawyer by the name of kevin kleinsmith he's the one that materially altered an email to say that carter page in fact was not an asset of the Central Intelligence Agency when Carter Page was. That is huge. Yeah. If they don't charge him, and I, and I think that's a fait accompli. I think he will be charged. That would be, in my mind, egregious. Beyond that, these are judgment calls. And I think that Bill Barr took the position, if I charge Comey, it is going to look like a partisan 
hack job. I'm already accused of that. So I think he made a decision that if James Comey was anybody else, he would have been charged. No. Same with Andrew McCabe. Well, and, and, and also, I guess, uh, give, uh, give uh, U.S. Attorney Durham the opportunity to come up with a report, right, and see what he, see what he finds, right? Yep. If he, if he comes out with anything more devastating, then let's take the higher charge, the higher charge right? And, and that's where I think Mr. Kleinsmith does get charged beyond that. Andrew McCabe was referred criminally to the Department of Justice. They declined. James Comey was referred criminally to the Department of Justice. They declined. So the IG did his job. Beyond that, I, I just think now it's... What about the unmasking of U.S. citizens? What's that? What about the unmasking of U.S. citizens? Yeah, again, that's a right that people in political positions have to do, whether they're the national security advisor, whether or not they're the ambassador to the U.N., whether or not they're the vice president or the president. Can you get into that and say that that's illegal? Well, no, it's not illegal. You can look at it and say, well, why did you unmask these people? And I don't think the unmasking was the worst part. Yeah. The worst part was they were unmasked, which happens all the time, and then it was leaked. It was leaked out. Yeah. That is wrong because the leaks were all one way. When Donald Trump ran in 2016 and when he was elected in 2017 and he was going through his transition and then moved into the presidency beyond his first 100 days, the leaks were devastating Great. in one direction. Yeah, and that's where I come it, down and having a problem. Yeah, that, 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 that was absolutely insane. Absolutely crazy. So you don't think this goes up to, um, you know, hits Brennan or, or Clapper or any of those guys at all? I, I don't. And, and, and I don't want to pretend to say that I've got inside information sure. or I know something more than you do. I'm reading the judicial. Out of experience, tea. right? Well, based on my experience and I'm reading my judicial, the judicial tea leaves here, <laughs> I don't see those folks being charged. I believe when this is all said and done, there'll be one indictment, and that'll be Mr. Kleinsmith, the DOJ lawyer, who materially altered a document to help a FISA application get approved by the FISC. That's the guy I think that could actually face some criminal exposure. Everybody else, if they haven't done it already, if, if, if the attorney general didn't charge Comey or McCabe, I don't think it's going to happen. Wow, that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Hey, James, so, you know, tell us a little bit about your background in, 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 in the Bureau. Um, I know you've done um, a lot of, I guess, uh, intel, criminal stuff, cartels, et cetera, um, some of the fun stuff. Sure. So, I mean, I, I, lucky and blessed. I, I truly believe this. The FBI is the greatest job in the world. I still believe to this day, no matter how much of a battering we've taken, some justified, some over the top and superfluous and partisan, but I still believe it is the greatest law enforcement agency in the world, in the history of the world. And I don't say that lightly. That's not hyperbole. I believe that. I spent a quarter of a century in the FBI. I, again, I served under four of the eight FBI directors in the Bureau's history. I entered in 1991. The world was a vastly different place. We were at the height of the Cold War. So I didn't think in the military I was going to get any quote-unquote action. So I wanted to get into the FBI. I wanted to work the mafia. Being a Sicilian-American, I thought that that would be a cool thing to work. So I got sent to New York. And for the first four years, from 1991 to 1995, I worked on the John Gotti squad, the Gambino squad in the FBI's New York office. Then I spent two years wow, on a- that was awesome. That must have been something, huh? It, it, it was a lot of fun. I actually spent three months living with Sammy the Bull Gravano in a safe house after he flipped and turned state's evidence. So it was wow. a, real, 
a real education for a novice, because I was a novice at that time, real education in the mob. Then I spent two years on a Colombian cocaine trafficking squad that, that targeted Pablo Escobar and the Medellin uh, uh, cartel. Yep. And then I got selected for the FBI's hostage rescue team, which is a 52-man counterterrorism team. It's our nation's only domestic counterterrorism team stationed at Quantico. Did that for four years. Came back to New York just in time for 9-11, unfortunately. Wow. Everybody worked counterterrorism at that time. I went undercover for a couple of years, worked a number of different violations from drugs, narco trafficking, dirty cops, um, public corruption. Uh, and then I took over an upstate New York office and I ran that for four years. Also served as the crisis management coordinator for New York City and then spent two years in Mexico City as the FBI's deputy legal attache. And then finally as the acting legal attache before I came back to New York and spent my last year as like the special assistant to the assistant director in charge, kind of like a chief of staff position before I retired in, in 2016. What a Great solid career, career, man. Lucky and blessed. Lucky yeah, what and a blessed. solid career. What a stud. What an absolute stud, man. It's, uh, it, you know, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, James. I'd love to have you come back again. Have me back. Um, you know what? The, it, it, and something that I wanted to touch really quick, really quick. We got, you know, a few minutes. If, if you can hit it or, or we can leave it for next time. But during these riots, right, during these riots, is this, 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 the, the criminal part, not the peaceful protesters marching, but the riots. Um, we know for a fact that there are foreign agents playing in these. Uh, we know that for a fact, right? It's 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 known thing, right? Without releasing anything, you know, confidential here, right? Um, we know about the foreign agents on the other side. Uh, it hasn't been talked a lot about the foreign agents on this side, on, on, on this hemisphere. I bring it up because uh, nobody else does. Grupo Puebla, uh, Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua. Um, they're all playing. They're all rattling. Um, they're all trying to influence. We have Zapatero, the former president of Spain, openly talk about, before all this happens, about participating in a coordinated effort to take down Donald Trump in the United States. Why isn't anybody talking about this? Why isn't mainstream media addressing this real legitimate problem? I've had former, you know, guests last week, I don't know if you heard it, you know, people playing in the intel community, talking about how important, how dangerous Latin America is right now. We have the Russians, the, the, the Chinese, the Iranians, you know, Hezbollah, Hamas, you know, playing in our backyard. They're involved in drug trade as well. Um, it, it, it is truly, truly dangerous and nobody is addressing this issue, and they are now starting to impact and cause disturbances and riots in our own country, participating in a much global organized effort. Well, you know, and I know that J. Edgar Hoover, the FBI's first FBI director, you know, he, 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 he led the organization from 1924 until he died in 1972 for 48 years. And I know today during the historical purge, you know, you can't talk about him because, you know, he lived at the wrong time and he wasn't yep. a perfect human being. But he warned about exactly what you're talking about in a book um, back in 1958. And, uh, and he talked about the Russians and, and, and the disinformation campaign. Yep. And, and the title of the book was called Masters of Deceit. Now, the business is different today. Back in those days, the Russians had to, you know, take communist party members and infiltrate them into labor unions here, right. and they had to physically be boots on the ground. Now you can do it from a laptop. So yeah. you mentioned some of the bad state actors, but you got Russia, you got China, you got North Korea, you got Iran. Yeah. And what they want to do is 
this fragile experience of democracy we have here in this in this wonderful country, 244 years old, right? The planet is 4.5 billion years old, right? Man's been on the face of the earth for 200,000 years, and civilization's only been around for six or 8,000 years. We've only been here for 244 years. So those countries, those bad state actors, the socialist countries, the communist countries, you know, the countries that are ruled by dictators or theocrats, they want to prove that this experience is flawed, that this will never work. You can't have a, a, a representative republic or democracy like this, and it will thrive and be prosperous. We have to prove them wrong. Awesome, man. You are a stud. Ladies and gentlemen, the great James Gagliano. Thank you for being on the show, James. And uh, I have to, I, you have to come back. You have to I come will. back. You got it. I will, brother. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with more Battleground. Hey, by the way, have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me tell you, let me explain. Let me tell you how it works. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast directly. It'll be heard on Spotify, Apple, and just about every other platform out there. So it's very, very easy to use, very user-friendly. And best of all, it lets you monetize that. So everything you need is all in one place. All you have to do is download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back to Battleground. Today we are joined by Bradford Trawick. Bradford is the Strategic Communications Director with Empower America. Is that right, Bradford? Did I get that right? Uh, yes, Empower America Project. Yep. Uh, Empower America Project. That's right. So, Bradford, um, great organization. You guys made a lot of noise last year. Then the pandemic hit. You had just joined. Everything shuts down. Everybody's locked up uh, outside of emails and some digital stuff. Uh, you guys are now ready to rejoin the battle. Is that correct? That is, that is, yes, that is correct. <laughs> Fantastic. So tell us about Empower America Project. Uh, I, you know, I got exposed real early, um, but I know everybody doesn't understand what it does. I think it's super, super important, the work that you guys are doing. Uh, I've said this publicly a hundred million times, you know, my party, the Republican Party is terrible at engaging, you know, minorities at engaging with Hispanics, at engaging with African-Americans. We're just not good at it. Um, Democrats beat us to the punch every single time. Um, I'm glad you guys are in the fight. You know, I jumped in it as well, creating my Hispanic organization. I'm super excited with what you guys are doing. I know there are some uh, prominent senators and some prominent people behind that organization. Tell us about it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think it's so important that you use the word uh, engagement and not outreach, uh, because yeah. engagement is what Empower, uh, Empower America Project is all about. Uh, the idea there is that we're consistently engaged with, with these minority communities, um, and we don't just do outreach. We don't just show up around uh, election time asking for you to support our candidates or asking, you know, for money or support our policy platforms or, or anything like that. Uh, the idea is consistent engagement and talking about true conservative principles and why they work best uh, for minority communities, generally focusing uh, around, uh, you know, policies surrounding economics and entrepreneurship, uh, as well as education. Uh, and, you know, like you said before, we've, we've had some amazing supporters uh, out the gate, uh, most notably Senator Tim Scott, uh, and we definitely support his opportunity agenda, uh, which I think most people just associate with opportunity zones. Um, but it's, it's also related to education, 
uh, as, as Senator Scott has worked with uh, Senator Alexander in recently releasing their, their School Choice Act uh, last week. Um, and, and so we, we talk about that with some communities, but it is, it is a project that is aimed at one, uh, consistently engaging with minority communities uh, across the country to, to really talk about and create dialogue about true conservative principles, uh, policies, and ideas, uh, to two, offer support and offer training uh, to minorities who might want to run as conservatives, run as Republicans across the country. Because um, running for office, if you want to do it well, isn't something you just roll out of bed and do. Uh, you have to learn how to fundraise. You have to learn how to craft your message. You have to learn how, how to engage in policies uh, that you might not have engaged with before, uh, where you, how to find out how to get resources, things like that. Uh, and then finally, we do uh, support some of the candidates that we endorse, uh, some of the, the, the candidates that we uh, put out in our slate of endorsements. Um, we do independent expenditure on those, on those candidates as well, making sure uh, that we give them a boost, that people in their districts, people in their communities know uh, who they are and, and what they stand for. That's fantastic, man. That, that, that is great, great stuff. I know you guys have been working out on this. Uh, you know, I remember last year when they launched, uh, you know, I was at that launch event with Senator Scott, Senator Rubio, and, and, and a few other members of Congress, actually. Um, great event. I think the message, the, uh, the, the mission is fantastic, right? Um, and going back to what you said, right, and, and, and I fully, fully agree with you on this outreach stuff, versus engagement. I remember when uh, Newt was running for president, uh, I was his Hispanic communications uh, director, and uh, he used to say, you know, who the hell are we to say outreach? You know, uh, that, that, that is the most misspoken word. What we need to do is be, you know, use inclusion, and we need to include them, you know, at the table. You know, we need to include them at the seat of the table. You know, who are we to tell them what to think, what to do, et cetera, right? Let's find out from them. And I'm glad you guys are doing that. You guys are, are, are doing a, a spectacular job. I know, uh, especially on the candidate training, th th those workshops, those seminars, conferences have been fantastic. I know a lot of people that have attended, a lot of people that are running. Um, and I agree 100%. You know, uh, the fundraising is some of the hardest, hardest parts of campaigning. And, you know, I always tell people, if you can't raise money, don't run because you're just going to get squashed and uh and you could really end up getting hurt right because if somebody comes out and starts hitting you with negative pieces and you don't and you can't respond you know yep. it could ruin you include including to the point where you can't even get a job right so yep it, it's very very tough i'm glad you guys are doing that work tell us a little bit about uh you know senator scott he's involved in a lot of good stuff a lot of good legislation he, he's such a great leader for you know, for the African-American community, I think, uh, as Marco is for, for Hispanics. And, and I'm glad they're both part of Empower America. What, what is their, what is their relationship? What is their, what is their, the, the depth of what they're doing with, with the organization? Are they a hundred percent committed? I, well, I shouldn't say committed. Are they a hundred percent engaged in, in, in Empower America or is it more uh, kind of like an oversight, general guidance and things like that? Uh, I would definitely say that Senator Scott is a, a definite supporter of the work that we're, uh, that we're doing. Uh, he you know, spoke at a couple of our uh, events, not just the launch event um, that, that, that you attended. Uh, he also spoke with uh, the candidates that, that have gone through our candidate training program, uh, one in October, uh, again in, in December. Uh, and we really appreciate just kind of the voice that, that he's lent to this, not just in, in the sense of his support, but also uh, in his experience 
experience. He's talked about uh, just how, how, how much he had to work through. People think that, you know, they see him as Senator Jim Scott and they think that he just kind of appeared uh, out of nowhere, you know, uh, but that's not the case. You know, he talks about his personal story about uh, working through uh, being on city council and then being an, an, a, a representative, then being tapped to uh, fill a Senate and then winning an election. You know, he, he's talked about how he's been through those steps uh, and he meets a lot of the people, a lot of the candidates that, in uh, potential candidates, where they are. Uh, he doesn't just speak to them and, and say, hey, you know, thus saith Senator Scott, right? Like, it's not the attitude that he takes. And we're very, very, very appreciative of that. Um, and, you know, like I said, like I said before, uh, we definitely support his opportunity agenda. Uh, and it's making sure and it's ensuring, um, as he says, that everybody has equal access and equal opportunity uh, to what is truly the American dream here uh, in this country. And we want to make sure that you, you do that by restricting or by removing the restrictions that are placed on, on people through government um, and over governing and over taxing people and really making sure that we're putting and empowering um, the the people in, in diverse communities to make the best decision for their lives, regardless of where they are in the country. That's fantastic. And you guys are helping minority candidates. I, I've seen tremendous amount of minority candidates run on our party, you know, in the primaries. And, and I know for the, for the general as well, is it a record year for minorities running as Republicans? I, I haven't looked at that data, but I see so many, so many, like I haven't seen in years before. Yes, uh, and I'm not sure if it's a, I don't believe it's a, a record, but I think they're, they're right there. Um, unfortunately, you know, there were a lot of candidates that didn't make it out of their primaries, yeah. uh, but we do have a lot of very strong candidates uh, that, you know, across the board, some candidates that we've, that we haven't endorsed, but just, if you're looking at it for a slate of diverse candidates, um, you know, there, it's a, it's across the board. We have um, candidates down in Texas, of course, where, you know, you wouldn't typically think that's where you'd find a bulk of the, you know, African-American Republicans, but you find them there. Um, we have some amazing candidates coming out of California, uh, as well as some candidates who are running in some very tough places places uh, like Baltimore, where you have um, a young woman by the name of Kimberly, Kimberly Classic is running, um, which, and you know, she's, she's some, she's shown, she's done, she garnered national attention. Uh, yeah, so it is Kim, a banner Kim's year. Great. Kim is great. Kim Classic. Yeah, we've had her on yeah. our show. She is, um, uh, she's good. I mean, uh, it's a tough, tough district though, you know, and, yeah. uh, and, and fundraising is just so hard in that district. Uh, I, I really hope she wins. She's, she's a great voice. Um, and there's so many others, right? Oh, oh yeah, um, across the board, uh, we're really excited. You know, one of our endorsement, one of our endorsed candidates, a gentleman by the name of Wesley Hunt, um, down in Texas seventh, uh, and he's working to flip that seat back red. Um, since it, it flipped in, in 2018. And I've had a, a, the opportunity to sit down and, and talk with Wes uh, on several occasions, and he's a phenomenal gentleman. Uh, you know, and he's the kind of person uh, that the party uh, is is really lo looking, he's the kind of person that the party is looking to, that the movement is looking to, to shape kind of what the future of what the movement looks like. Uh, you know, he's dedicated service to this country. Uh, you know, he's a West Point grad. I think uh, the, him and his two siblings are all West Point grads. Um, you know, he's a very educated individual. Not only does he have a degree from West Point, but he also has uh, three master's degrees. Um, a beautiful family. Uh, you know, it's a dedicated family man, dedicated to making sure that he's, you know, doing the best for, for his community, for all the people that are in his district. Uh, and that's what we're looking at. That's the kind of person that we're looking to uh, garner. That's the person that we're looking to make sure uh, continues to be uh, involved and have an influential voice in the movement of the party, in the movement, uh, in the direction of the conservative movement. Where can somebody go and find more information on Empower America Project? Where can they go and donate? How do they support some of the candidates that, you're, the, that you guys are supporting? What's the best way to do that? Is it to engage your organization, make donations directly, or go through a list and kind of pick and choose? 
Yes, that's a great question. So uh, if anyone wants to find out any more information, they can visit us at empower.org. Uh, and then you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at project two, the number two empower. Um, that's at project two, the number two empower. Uh, and then of course on Facebook at uh, project uh, empower America project. And uh, as far as finding out information about our candidates, we're actually getting ready to do because we're, we're, we've actually wanted to wait until uh, the slate of primaries was done for our endorsed candidates. Everyone that's made it through their primary will be re-releasing um, information on where they can uh, donate to and we'll have a platform for them as well to donate directly to the candidates. And they can also donate directly to uh, support Empower's project uh, mission at empower.org. Yeah, and we need people to go and, and, and go to Empower America Project's website to donate any amount they can. They're doing a great job. The party is definitely not doing it. We suck as a party doing this thing. Let's help Empower America do what they do best. Uh, and, and I say that honestly and seriously, Brad. Um, you know, it, it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm a lifelong Republican. My first campaign was when I was 14 years old. I'm 50 today, so that's a long time being a Republican. But, uh, but, I, but at the same time, I accept our shortfallings, and I'm glad that there are organizations out there like Empower America Project stepping up doing what needs to be done and making sure that we win in 2020, you know, going into, going into that, uh, winning in 2020, let me ask you a question. Um, so I'm going to get a little controversial, hopefully not 2020 before this whole racket started, you know, we had one of the greatest economies in the history of the world, right? In the history of the country, lowest unemployment for, Hispanics, for African-Americans, for Asians, for women, for everybody. You know, we had an approval. You know, we saw polls out there three months in a row with great approval numbers for, for, for the president by the Hispanic community, 49 to 51, right? Scaling up and down, uh, but really high, close to 50 or above 50. That, that was great, great numbers. Uh, the African-American approval was in the 20s as well. Um, with those kind of numbers, Democrats can't win. Right. And then you have this COVID thing. You have to artificially shut down the economy. And now all this chaos with this Black Lives Matter stuff. Um, how do you see all this affecting the reelection of our president? How do you see this Black Lives Matter movement? Uh, has it been hijacked by a bunch of Marxist anarchists and, and Antifa like criminal element? Or is it a, or, or is that really the, the, the movement of what it's about? Because we've heard some videos, we've seen videos, it's not a secret, where the founders are saying that, you know, that they're Marxists, they've been trained in Marxism. That's kind of scary, right? It's a little frightening for, for regular folks to understand. I don't think Marxism is something we want in the United States. And then we see this rioting and looting and arson and just criminal behavior. We see Portland over 60 days of chaos, uh, all hiding under, you know, this banner. And I just can't believe that that banner really is that. And if it is, then shame on them, right? Most definitely. So, uh, you know, it's really, what's really tough about the Black Lives Matter movement uh, is there are two separate conversations, almost three separate conversations happening in America right now surrounding that. 
Uh, and the tough part is one, you have people and, and you know, you have what I, what, I, what I perceive to be the bulk of people who want to have a legitimate conversation about um, some, what they perceive to be systematic grievances. Uh, and, that's, and that's fine. That's what America has systems designed, um, our culture is designed, this country was designed uh, for people to be able to address their grievances in, in a public way. I wholeheartedly uh, support their right to protest. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a famous phrase that people say, where they say, I might disagree with you, but I support to the death your right to do so. Uh, and that's, 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 that's where I fall. I think that's where a lot of people, um, even, on, even on the right fall, where, you know, I might disagree with what you're processing about. I might disagree with the premise, um, but I, I support to the death of your right to do so. Because the moment that uh, we stop that, you know, uh, we're not too many steps away from taking away my right to protest what I believe in. And so uh, that's, that's kind of what you had. Um, and of course, here I'm, I'm located in Washington, D.C. Uh, I went out to the protest. I went out, I wanted to see, I wanted to know, aside from what the media is telling me, let me, let me see what people on the ground are saying. Let's see, let's look at the conversations. Let's see what people are doing. Um, and for the most part, they were actually a, a lot more peaceful, a lot more calm, a lot more willing to say, hey, this is what we believe. This is what we think. And this is what we're upset about. This is what we're angry about. Um, and then you have the people who want to start trouble. Right, you have, um, and you can credit this to a, a, a number of people, right? You can say they're the Antifa agitators. You could say they're, um, you know, just all around, just the trouble starters. And those people exist. We have to acknowledge that those people exist. Um, you know, for instance, I was uh, I was walking with a protester here. I was walking trying to meet up with a friend, uh, and I, I, you know, watched a guy. Um, launch a uh, one of the kind of the electric scooters we have around here in DC, like launch it through a window. Um, and in that moment, I, we were just kind of, you know, taken aback. Um, and I kind of held my breath for a second, kind of waiting for that to be this terrible moment that kicks off this wave of, of just violence, right? Um, but the, the protesters that were there kind of responded to that gentleman. And, and This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.